And all be seated. So when I always hated after a long break in school, say Christmas break or spring break, or having a four-day weekend, and you'd come back and the teacher would give you a pop quiz. Well, a lot of you haven't been in church for a while, so I think it's time for a pop quiz. And it's a challenging one. How many sides are on this box? Does anybody have a guess? How many sides on the box? We have an answer of five. You sure? Four sides, a top and a bottom? Six. Six sides to the box. We're going to make it more challenging. How many sides on my spherical orange? Seven. Zip. There are no sides? There's got to be at least one side. Well, technically, you can say six and you can say one, but the answer I'm looking for is two. Both objects have two sides. There's the outside and the inside. And I want you to keep this in mind. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about my experience learning about the Trinity. And it is a hard thing to talk about. When I went to school in Rome, uh, the first class that was offered was telling about the school that you went to. I went to the Angelicum, which was taught by the Dominicans, and they taught us the Trinity first. They said, in studying the Trinity, you learn all the distinctions between the persons. And we'll do that before we cover Christology, the study of Jesus, and the study of the Holy Spirit. The guys at the Greg, the Gregoriana, which is run by the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus, what class do you think they took first? Christology. They studied Jesus Christ first, which is what you expect from the Jesuits. And the guys that went to Santa Croce, we don't know what they studied. We don't even know that they went to school. When we all left in the morning to, for our long walk to school, they were still in the cafeteria having breakfast. We don't know that they ever actually left and went to school. So we don't know what happened there, but my first, one of my first classes was on the Trinity. I had a great Dominican priest, Father Lobo, who's from India. He spoke with a thick accent um, and sometimes was hard to understand. But uh, we started to talk about the Trinity. Our first two hours of class on the Trinity was him going through the Bible. And we didn't have time to stop and actually tell you what the Bible said. He would just start with... Genesis 1-1, Trinity. Genesis 1-2, Christ. Genesis 1-3, the Holy Spirit. And he just went on and on like that with passages from the Bible saying if it was about the Trinity, the Father, the Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. And at the end of two hours, I had eight pages of written notes. And he said... Every one of those biblical passages, you must be able to know and answer 
on the oral exam at the end of the semester. No pressure. Only 800-some references in Scripture to those three persons that make up God. And during the class, we had asked questions. And I remember one time raising my hand in class with a question, and I, I asked, and I don't remember exactly what I asked, but could we describe the Trinity as X, Y, Z? And he's standing at a podium in front, and he's kind of an honorary man at times. And he looked at me, and he just went, no, man, you cannot say that about the Trinity. That is a heresy. Quick, what heresy did you commit? I, I, I have no idea. So my classmates had to let me know what heresy I committed. And then a month later, I was during the break. We're outside talking. He's out there. And I said, could we say this about the Trinity? And he said, no, man. But he had no podium to pound, so he tried to kick me. Went like that and said, quick, what heresy did you commit? And I think it was a modalism. I tried to put God in these different modes, which we don't need to go into the details of that. But what's important is that when I went in for my final exam, a 15-minute oral exam that your entire grade is based on, I came in and he looked at me and he said, you're the young man with two heresies. If I hear one more heresy out of you, you fail and have to come back next year and take my class again. And so he said, give me a definition of the Trinity without a heresy. And I had studied well, and he had given us the answer in class, and I said, one God, two processions, three persons, four relations, and five notions. Like a good little boy, I memorized that formula. And he said, what does it mean? And I said, I prefer not to answer it so I don't go into heresy. And then he said, well, tell me, why is it hard to talk about the Trinity? And I had my pat answer. Human language cannot do justice to the transcendent, meaning what's up above in heaven. To talk about God, we, our language just doesn't work well. And thus, we can't really talk about the Trinity. The Trinity sounds illogical to us. It's full of seeming contradictions. It's beyond our comprehension. It's not like anything that we can see in reality. We can't even create a decent analogy of the Trinity using our language or experience. One person that really tried was St. Patrick. Remember, three leaves, one clover, except that there are clovers with only two leaves and there are clovers with four leaves. So an analogy on earth just doesn't really work. There are limits placed on our human ability to grasp the things of God, things of the divine. Our knowledge of God is adapted to our capacity and our capacity is limited because our minds are created and based on earth. It's a story of St. Augustine. He wrote a famous book called On the Trinity. And this is one of the greatest minds that ever lived. 
Maybe not as good as Aquinas, who was a Dominican, but pretty close. And he got stuck one day and decided to go for a walk. What can I say about the Trinity? How can I, how can I express it? How can I even understand it enough to write? And he was walking along the coast on the beach on the Mediterranean Sea. And he's found a little boy playing in the sand and the boy had dug a huge hole big enough for the boy to sit in. And the little boy was running back and forth from the sea to the hole. He had a little shell and he'd fill the shell up with water and he'd run back and dump it in his hole. And St. Augustine saw the boy doing this a bunch of times. And he approached the boy and asked, what are you doing? The little boy said, I'm going to take all the water from the ocean and put it in my hole. And St. Augustine said, you can't do that. The hole's not big enough. There's so much water out there. And the little boy turned to him and said, I will sooner draw all the water from the sea and empty it into this hole then you will succeed in penetrating the mystery of the Holy Trinity with your limited understanding. St. Augustine turned and walked away, shrugging his shoulders, and then he wanted to have another comment and turned and looked, and the little boy and the whole were gone. From that experience, he came up with the phrase, si comprehendis non es Deus, which roughly translates as, if you can get your head around it, it cannot be God. Or how can the human expect to contain the vast mystery of God in the mere words of a book? So that leads us to the question, why do we try to understand the Trinity? Why are we having a feast day of the Trinity? Well, if you remember to our pop quiz at the beginning, I said there's an inside and an outside. So two Christians have an inside and an outside. Our inside is our beliefs, the faith that we hold to, and our life, our practices which express our faith is the outside. We come to church to get our inside filled up with faith so that we can leave church and go and be the face of Christ to the world. And today, on the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity, the church calls to mind in a special way the most fundamental of all our Christian beliefs, the most central inside faith, namely our belief in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the Holy Three, the Trinity, belief in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with one God is the very heart of the inside of our faith. It is the deepest of the mysteries of our faith and in many ways the most unfathomable, the most, the, the deepest mystery that we can't even begin to understand. And yet on that mystery, all of our other faith is built. At different times during the liturgical year, we honor the Father who created us. We do this through our prayers, hymns at Mass, 
and all throughout the year. The Son who redeemed and saved us, we especially celebrate at the feast of Christmas and Easter, and every time we celebrate at the altar with the Eucharist. And the Holy Spirit who sanctifies and indwells in us, we celebrate a Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday. But today on Trinity Sunday, we worship and honor and adore the Holy Three together, the divine persons in one divine nature, one divine persons or three persons. Our whole Christian life is deeply immersed into and enveloped by our faith in the Blessed Trinity. Our life is filled with signs and symbols of our faith in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The first prayer that we were likely taught was to make the sign of the cross. And we use this sign, or we should use it, to bless ourselves at the beginning of each new day. We use it at the beginning of all our prayers, at the beginning and end of our Mass. We use it on entering the church or leaving it. We pray the glory be to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit often. We sing glory to God in the highest at the Gloria like we did a few minutes ago at, at Mass. We profess faith in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Creed, which we will profess in a few minutes. We are marked by the sign of the triune God at baptism, and we will be marked with the same sign of the triune God before we die. And the sign of the cross will be made over our graves when we return to the earth. The sign of the cross by which we call on the name and persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our most distinctive identity mark. It marks us off from all other believers in one God, from most of our Protestant brothers, from the Jews and the Muslims, but also from believers in multiple gods, people like the Hindus. We believe in only one God but one God whose inner life is a communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one triune God. So something that's so ingrained in our faith explains a little bit about why we should study and try to understand the Trinity. But we barely can scratch the surface of such a perplexing mystery a mystery for which we will never come close to comprehending during our earthly existence, and perhaps not even when we get to heaven. Why bother? Because a little bit has been revealed to us by God through revelation about the mystery of God. We are then compelled to try to understand what our intellect can grasp, can't grasp, and that our faith impels us to accept. At its core, theology is confronted with something so great that we cannot fully comprehend it. And so we must do the best that we can with our analytical, rational minds and the descriptive tools and words at our disposal. Because the more that we can understand, the more God is revealed to us. 
And the more that God is revealed to us, the more our love for God grows and is strengthened. Our inner core, our faith becomes stronger and we go out into the world becoming Christ to everyone we meet, making the world a better place.